Well, we are close to the end of our, of our series on Acts. Let me open with just a brief word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we have to look into your word and we pray that, that you'll use this time to teach us, to change our hearts, to bring us closer to you and, and to conform us in the image of your son in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're, we're almost done with our Acts series. And we're, I, we told you last week that we're getting ready to, to start an Isaiah series, but that's really not till the new year. Um, so we still have a few weeks. We're going to have some special messages between now and then. We, uh, we see at the very beginning of Acts, uh, Jesus is, is getting ready to ascend to heaven, and he, and he tells his disciples, he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he's telling them, this gospel, this message of my, of my mission to the earth, of my redemption for all, all of humanity, you're going to spread it. You're going to go to the world and you're going to tell what's going to happen. Now, how are they going to go to the world? Well, my message I, I entitled today, Four Roads. They're going to take the road. And God's going God's to send individuals on certain missions, on certain roads, at certain times, for certain purposes. Um, we see it all through Acts and truthfully, I picked four, but there's a lot more than four roads in Acts. There's a lot more. Um, but there are four that I picked because they kind of illustrate uh, certain aspects of God's purpose and, and, and how he's working through Acts. <clears throat> so we see, uh, when we look at Acts, it almost reads like an adventure story. We see, um, we see all this movement in motion, people moving, moving here and going there, talking to these people. And, fa- and facing dangers, facing trials. It's almost like a novel, but it's not a novel, it's history. Um, there's all these different things, and I want to look today at, at four, four different roads, four different themes, but we're going to look at how God, I'm going to just say these real quick, but I'll hit them again. I've handed out these sheets to kind of help track what we're doing. But God rewards the seeker, and the, one, of these, one of these roads illustrates how that works. God rewards the seeker. He rescues the rebel. God reaches the powerful and he redeems the exiles. Rewards the seeker. He rescues the rebel. He reaches the powerful and he redeems the exiles. Those are, he does many other things than that, but those are the four that we're going to look at today. So the first road that I want to look at, they're not necessarily in chronological order in, in Acts, but the first one that I want to look at is the road to Gaza. Because, because Philip took the road to Gaza. And I'm going to read straight from the scripture here. This is from Acts 8, 26 and following. Hear the word of the Lord. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to pause right there with the reading, because we know what happens next, and and Philip sits down in the chariot with him, and they ride along together, and Philip describes what's going on, what, what is happening in the Scriptures. 
that Isaiah is talking about the Messiah to come. And actually it's now been fulfilled in Jesus. Philip explains all those things to the eunuch. And we, we remember that. We, we, we studied that a few weeks ago. No, months maybe. What do we know about this eunuch? Well, he, he was from Ethiopia. Yes, he's the Ethiopian eunuch, so he's from Ethiopia. It, the scripture tells us he was, a, he was a court official of the queen and in charge of her treasure. Now that should probably indicate to us he's an important guy. The queen of Ethiopia, and he's in charge of the treasury. And he's riding in a chariot. That's not a small thing. Most people don't get to ride in a chariot in those times, unless they were a person of some power, of some uh, wealth. So it's really interesting. He's a, he's a powerful and wealthy person. He's a, he answers to only the queen of Ethiopia. But this is really interesting. Why is he in Jerusalem at all? Why is he there? He had come to Jerusalem for the Passover. He'd come to worship the one true God. Now, this is really interesting to me because, because what we see in this person is he's a eunuch. And I'm not going to get into anatomically what that means. But that's a pretty important thing to understand. Because he was a eunuch, he was not allowed to fully participate in the Jewish worship. So he had traveled from Ethiopia, south of Egypt, all the way up here to Jerusalem to worship. And even still could only do so in a limited sense. He was not allowed fully into the worship. But he had still come anyway. Because he knew who the one true God was. And he wanted to worship him to the extent that he was able to. Which was still restricted. So he had come up here and did do this in a partial way. He would rather partially worship the true God than fully worship fake gods in Ethiopia. Now he, this is so interesting to me that this man of, of power and influence had come to be humbled in this way. But he was searching for truth. We see that clearly. He came to worship the true God. He left reading the scriptures because he wanted to know more about this one true God. And I have a couple of scriptures that I want to read to you about what is God's attitude? What is God's approach to people who seek? Seek him. Well, David tells us in Psalm 9, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. That's from the Old Testament. That's David telling us that God does not forsake those who seek him. Jesus himself taught in the book of Luke, it's recorded. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. This is Jesus' words directly. Ask him, seek him, and he will, come, and he will reveal himself. Now this eunuch was worshiping the true God. But his seeking caused him to ask deeper questions. He had, been, he had been in Jerusalem during the time of the Passover, which, which happened to coincide that year with the crucifixion of Jesus. And there's all this buzz in the city, no doubt, about what is this man that got crucified. Some people said he was the king of the Jews. Some people say he was the Messiah, but now he's dead. But now some people say he's raised. You know, there's all this buzz going on. The eunuch's reading Isaiah as he drives out of town. God sent Philip on the road to Gaza for this one purpose, so he could answer these questions. This man is seeking. Philip is the answer to the question. He's the answer to this man's prayer. I want to know more about God. And who, and who does God send? Philip. Philip knows. 
So he, in one chariot ride, he goes from being a, a partial, sort of understanding worshiper of the true God, to now he's, a, now he's a believer. Now he's come to know the Messiah. He understands now the culmination of what God's purpose was in a way that few did at that time. Our principle is that God rewards true seekers. God rewards true seekers. So let me ask you a few things. Let's let's dig in a little bit. This eunuch was willing to suffer humiliation in in going to the Passover so that he could worship. Are you willing to suffer humiliation? Are you willing to humble yourself in order to worship? Or suffer in other ways? We don't suffer too much here, do we? Rodney, Rodney kind of talked about that in Sunday school this morning. This eunuch had already found the true God. But he wasn't satisfied. He wanted more. He wanted deeper truth. He wanted to know God more and know more about Him. And God honored his desire. Are you satisfied and complacent? Or are you seeking deeper things? Are you willing to listen when He sends someone to you? Because often that is His answer, to send someone else. And we know, we know that we've, we've found Jesus and that's good. In fact, it's great. We can't find any better. But Jesus wants more than us to just acknowledge who He is. He wants a relationship and He wants us to seek deeper things constantly. And He promises to reward those who seek. Our, our second road. So for those of you that have the sheets, what's the road to? Gaza. And who did He send? To who? The eunuch. For what purpose? To reward the seeker. That's right. The next road is the road to Damascus. And I know you all know who, who went on the road to Damascus. And who sent Paul on the road to Damascus? Paul was sent, he thought, by himself. He had a strategy, right? Paul, was, Paul had a game plan of eradicating the Christians. Getting rid of them all. Shutting them up. Killing them if he needed to. But at least get them in jail. Whatever. So Paul made a plan in his own mind, in his own strategy. I'm going to Damascus. And he collected letters from the, from the Sanhedrin so that when he went to Damascus, he had the authority to haul people in. Right? All Paul's plan, right? Except no. Because he had an appointment on the way that he didn't schedule. We know that Jesus met him there. And I, I really liked, as I was wrapping this all up and... And uh, we, we heard about Paul back in the beginning of Acts, but it's really neat to at the very end of Acts because Paul himself recounts the story to King Agrippa. And I'm going to read that really quickly for you. This is in Acts 26. Paul, Paul's speaking here. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the high chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, 
to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. This is the word of the Lord. On the road to Damascus, Paul was sent to meet Jesus. And what was God's purpose in this? To rescue this rebel. It was his purpose to rescue this rebel against him. And we know this story. This is, this is one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture. I'm not going to go into tons of detail here. Paul was going to harm the church, to persecute believers. And Jesus not only prevented that harm, he actually turned Paul into his greatest missionary. He could have killed Paul easily. He could have struck him dead on the road, and the Christians would have said, Oh, thank God for this justice, because this man was evil, and he was coming after us. But God struck him down. But that's not what God did. God didn't strike him down. Well, he struck him down temporarily, but not permanently. And he raised him back up as a servant. No longer a rebel, but now a servant. Paul was not a seeker. We talked about, we talked about the eunuch who was seeking the things of God. What was Paul doing? He was in open rebellion. He was not seeking truth. He was seeking to kill the church. He already, not, he already believed in his mind. He had the truth. He didn't need anyone to tell him anything. He was not seeking truth. He was seeking vengeance. But you know what? God still turned it. It was God's idea. God's choice to rescue Paul against Paul's will. This is amazing. We see that God not only rescued him, he turned him into an apostle. Not only an apostle. Not only did he turn him into a servant for himself, but he honored him by giving him the status of apostle. It's remarkable. We talked, we talked several weeks ago about Paul's status in history. Paul, Paul is arguably the most significant theologian that's ever lived. And he went from being this, uh, this self-righteous Pharisee seeking to eradicate Christianity to being the greatest advocate for Christianity the world's seen. Shaped the Western, all of Western culture shaped by Paul's theology that he has expressed in his letters. It's, it, you can't underestimate what he's, you can't overestimate his influence. And that's God. That's God's purpose in this. So what's the principle? God rescues rebels. That's what he does. We're rebels. What is a rebel? One who defies proper authority and fights against it. Do we ever do that? Yeah, we sure do. What's the reasonable response for a rebel against God? Well, clearly, to rebel against God, the only reasonable thing to do is, is, is kill. God would be justified in killing every rebel against Him. But he, but he chooses to rescue us instead. So rescued rebels can become workers in God's kingdom. And that's what He did with Paul. Are you stubbornly running away from Jesus? Paul was. What does it mean in this passage when, when Jesus tells Paul, it's, it's hard for you to kick against the goats, Paul. What does that mean? Well, Paul, instead of working towards God's goals, was, was kicking against what God wanted. God was building the church, and Paul was trying to tear it down. And Jesus said, it's hard for you, Paul, to kick against the goats. He struck him down. It meant that he claimed to be working for God, but he was actually working against him, 
Like an ox that tries to set its own path. You know what the goads are? The goads are the, the pointy sticks that a person will use to guide an ox and to steer its path while he's working in the field. Right? That's what the goads are. And sometimes an ornery ox will kick against those goads. But it doesn't ever work out for the ox because he's, he's constrained by his, by his leashes, by the yoke. So he can't, he can't really do his own thing. But he can kick. He can bloody his ankles. And that's what Paul was doing. Bloodying his ankles against God's goats. And finally God said, enough, Paul. Wake up. Wake up and come with me. Do what I ask you to do and it will be better for you. Are you claiming to follow Jesus while you insist on setting your own path? Are you trying to make your own way instead of letting him set your path? Is God trying to steer you and you're kicking against his goads? How, how could you know that? If you, find, if you find that you're kicking against God's goads, you're not going to make progress. You're going to be sad. Our next, our next road is to Rome. Again, these aren't necessarily chronological, but again, this is, this is Paul's voyage to Rome. God set him on a, on a path so that he could go, and the, and the goal for God here was to reach the powerful. And this is so interesting to me as I look at this. Um, the focal passage that I want to hit here is from right after Paul was, was stopped on the road and before he had even recovered his sight, God had reached out to a man named Ananias in Damascus. And he told, I'll just read it. The Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So he told Ananias, what? That Paul was going to be sent. Paul was going to be sent to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel and show him how much he must suffer. God had a purpose here in sending Paul to Rome. He was going to meet these leaders along the way. We'll just kind of walk through that really quickly. You remember that in Paul's third missionary journey, Paul kept talking about Rome. In his letters, he said, I want to visit Rome. And also he's talking about going back to Jerusalem. But he knew because he had been told, he had been told both warned by the Spirit and warned by a prophet, if he went back to Jerusalem, he was going to face persecution. And it wasn't exactly clear what form it would take, but he knew that Jerusalem was a dangerous place for him. He didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But he hoped to go to Rome and he planned to go to Jerusalem because the Spirit had that for him. So God had plans for him to go to Rome, all right. The Jews in Jerusalem, they had a plan too. They hoped to kill Paul and end his preaching as quickly as they could. And they were hoping that he'd come to Jerusalem because they could get him easily there. So God used, as, as Paul returned from his third journey and he went back to Jerusalem, they, they quickly captured him. And, and Paul used his understanding of Sanhedrin politics to show that this dispute was really theological and not political. And he, he was able to, to get the attention of the Romans so that the Romans would take charge of his person and not hand him over to the Jews who would have killed him immediately. He used his own citizenship to protect himself as well. 
But was it, was it a selfish protection? No, he knew he had a mission. And he knew that he needed to speak to as many people as possible. And, it, and so on his way, he ended up appealing to, to Caesar. And we, we've talked about that in prior messages. But in the, course of, in the course of defending himself, he appealed to Caesar. Which means that he as a, as a Roman citizen had the right for Caesar to hear his case. And not be turned over to Jewish authorities for, for what they would have done to him. And along the way, he got the chance to speak to all these powerful people. First to the Sanhedrin. They were the ruling authorities over the Jewish temple. So he spoke to them and spoke to them plainly and directly. Then he spoke to Felix, the, the local governor there. When Felix was out of the picture, he spoke to Festus. Festus was, Festus was another governor from Rome. And Festus called King Agrippa to come. King Agrippa was a local king that knew the, knew the local customs and knew the local culture. So he asked the King Agrippa to come. Come weigh in on this. Help me understand what to do with this guy. And King Agrippa came. And Paul spoke to all of them in turn. And then we know, we know from, uh, from uh, these other passages. Let me, let me read this passage to you. Um, from Acts 26. And he's, front of it, he's, front of, he's in front of Festus and Agrippa at the same time. This is a king, a governor, and Paul the prisoner. Paul was saying these things in his defense. And Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in the corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, will you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. So to Festus and King Agrippa, Paul's speaking the gospel. He's speaking it boldly. He's speaking it clearly. And he's telling them, Yes, I want you to be a Christian. I want you to be redeemed. I want you to believe. Just like me, except without the chains. He told them that boldly. He told them that respectfully. After this hearing, sometime later, he did get shipped to Rome because of his appeal to Caesar. He got shipped to Rome. And from, from Rome, he writes to the Philippians. This is from Philippians 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. It's become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Picture that. Rome, the emperor, and the imperial guard. And what's the topic of conversation in the imperial guard? This guy, Paul, from Jerusalem... We're not really sure why he's here. Seems to be some kind of religious thing. But what now are they saying? His imprisonment is for Christ. Just to be able to say that reflects an understanding. They know who the Christ is. It's Jesus. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one from God who's come to redeem. And the imperial guard's talking about it. Right? He didn't say they all accepted it, but they're talking about it. And we know that some did accept it. We know that some did believe Paul was sent. God sent Paul to talk to Sanhedrin, to Felix, to Festus, to Agrippa, 
On the path, on the path, on the ship, on the way, he was overseen by a centurion whose duty it was to guard Paul. And Paul saved that guy's life. And, and so we have a centurion that was a king, a commander over men, and the imperial guard of Caesar. And this is not recorded in scripture, so we don't know exactly what happened. But Paul, as a Roman citizen, asked for his right to be heard by Caesar. So we can probably assume that that happened. Now, it may have been a brief meeting. The Caesar at that time wasn't a real good guy. But Paul appealed for that right. What did he say to Caesar? We don't know. It's not recorded. But we know what kind of man Paul was. We know what his favorite topic of conversation was. Undoubtedly, he witnessed to Caesar on behalf of Jesus. We see this, that God even reaches the powerful. God has a plan here. Um, We talk about how God is merciful to the lowly, and He is. He's merciful to the powerless, to the poor. He is. But remember that But to God, the powerful are really not that powerful. They're only powerful to us. To God, they're just more people. They're small and weak to Him. He can use them as He wills, and He does use them. But He can also have mercy on them. And He did have mercy on them by giving them access to Paul. They may not have listened. Some did. Some didn't. But that's a mercy. God sends God sends uh, mercy even to leaders. In a way, they're sheep also. And God was sent to talk to them. He sent, he sent Paul, his, his best, his, his most learned and bold missionary, to speak to them. So God cares about leaders, about how they lead. He cares about their salvation. And if God cares about them, well, we should too. So how do we apply this? How do we think about what this means to us? Well, You should be praying for your leaders. We all must be praying for our leaders. We have all kinds of leaders in our lives. We have leaders in church, and they need prayer because we're we're God's sheep too. We need prayer. We need grace like every other believer. Kids, we have leaders in school. Some of you are homeschooled, and your leaders are your parents. (laughs) But some of you are in public school. right? You have lots of leaders in public school. And hear me on this, kids. You have, you have teachers. Some of them are easy to like. Some of them not so much. Right? By the time you're in 8th, ninth grade, how many teachers have you had? Probably 40, 50 teachers, right? A lot of teachers. Some of them easy to like. Some of them not so easy. But, but God's put them in your life. You pray for them? Are you respectful to them? Paul's talking to King Agrippa. Paul's talking to Festus. These men had authority over his life. And what does he call them? Most excellent. Right? Paul, more influential in in the history of mankind than either of these leaders. The only reason we know about these leaders' names is because they're written in this conversation. Right? Paul, who dominates history, versus these little pipsqueak guys that are nothing in history. But Paul calls them most excellent. Because he understands that God puts people in authority over us. And we need to respect them. We need to care about them. We need to pray for them. Leaders in government. That's even harder. This is election week. And the, and the red is hot. If you hadn't noticed. We need to pray for our leaders no matter what party they're from. 
We need to, we need to give them the honor that they're due. And sometimes it doesn't seem like they really deserve it. And sometimes they don't. But God asks us to give honor to those in authority. But to pray for them. Do you have an attitude of respect for your leaders in your life? Whether they're parents, whether they're teachers, whether they're government authorities. Paul showed us how to talk to them. Deferentially, respectfully, but he didn't hold back from telling them the gospel. He didn't hold back. He was bold. He said, oh yes, I would that you would be like me. Except for the chains. The next road, this last road I want to talk to, talk about. The road to Caesarea. This is Peter's road. God sent Peter to go talk to this Gentile Cornelius. And what was God's purpose on this road? To redeem the Gentiles. To redeem the exiles. So, and you know this story. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. So he was a Gentile. And he was a man of authority and, and some power there in Caesarea. Caesarea the, on the seaside there, that, that town. But he did believe in God. And uh, it's, in fact, the scripture calls him devout. And he actually had a vision one day where an angel came and told him to go send for a man named Peter because he's got something to say to you, to tell you. So he, he obeyed this vision and he sent messengers to go get Peter. But before, before the messengers actually got to Peter, God also gave Peter a dream, a vision, where he showed him all the animals. And you remember this story. We talked about this. Showed him all the animals coming down from heaven in a sheet, like a, like a blanket sort of thing. And the, the animals were clean and unclean. And God said, kill and eat. They're yours. And Peter said, no, no. God, I have been faithful to the Mosaic dietary laws. I do not eat unclean animals. And, and what was God's message back to Peter in this vision? From Acts 10, this is what it said. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. So he's telling Peter, and Peter recognized that the meaning was this. That the gospel was going to the Gentiles. And while the Jews would call the Gentiles unclean and common, and that they shouldn't associate with them, God was opening it up. And he was saying, now my gospel, now my redemption covers them too. And Peter, you're going to be part of that process. You're going to go to the Gentiles. And you're going to go to Cornelius specifically. This is, a big, this is a big deal since we're pretty much all Gentiles here. We spend a lot of time on this theme of God's plan in Acts to use His church to reach beyond the Jews and reclaim the Gentiles, to redeem the exiles. No one's out of His reach. No one is out of His reach. Anyone can come. And I want you to think for a moment about these words. What God has made clean, do not call common. In the, in the vision, it was about the food. And Peter then recognized, oh, well, it's really, it's, it's more than just food. It's, it's about Gentiles. Now, God can make them clean. But I want, let's make this personal. If God has made you clean, you're not common either. You're part of God's royal family if you've been made clean. You're precious to Him. And you're valuable. And, and we, need to, we need to consider that, how this works. That yes, we're valuable because God made us valuable. So sometimes we might be tempted to think that we're worthless or bad, right? 
It kind of depends on how you're wired, which, which way you tend to swing. Some people think, oh, I'm worthless. I'm bad. I'm common. But remember, if God has made you clean, you're not common anymore. You're valuable because God's made you valuable. Now, on the other side, some of us might be tempted to think that, well, actually, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty valuable, actually, because I've been saved and, and now I can do good things for God. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty valuable. But remember, you did not do this yourself. God has made you clean. So the credit goes to Him. The value is from Jesus, and you owe everything to Him. So remember, if you feel worthless, you're not. You have value because God gave you value. God has made you clean. And if you feel really great and inflated, don't get proud because it's God who did it. So we can bless Him for that. We, and we need, as we, as we look at these things, we need to have a time of response. I'm going to ask uh, the musicians to come back up as we close here. And we've, we've looked at these things, of these four roads. Um, I'm going to walk back through them backwards. But God redeems, God redeems exiles. That was us. Exiled out, but redeemed back. And God, God rewards the seeker. God reaches the powerful. And what else does He do? He rescues the rebels. So many of us are rebels by nature. That's what He does. He brings us back. What road have you been on? What has He revealed to you? Are you listening? What what road is God trying to send you on? Who will you touch? What do you need to respond to His call? What do you need to let go so that you can travel unburdened? Scripture tells us we need to let go. What do you need to sell so that you can move on?